Welcome to the podcast, All My Friends Are Therapists. My name is Annie Kendig, and I'm a licensed mental health professional. And although I have my own therapist, my friends always end up filling in the gaps. Each episode will be real talk, mental health topics with a licensed mental health counselor who turns all of her friends into therapists. Caitlin, thank you so much for being here today. Welcome to the All My Friends Are Therapist podcast, therapy office studio. How are you? I'm good. This is awesome. Great way to spend a Saturday morning. Oh, good. (laughs) Talking about gender therapy, which is what Caitlin is here to talk about, which she specializes in um, seeing clients in the Cincinnati area, which is gender therapy, working with transitioning individuals and very soon transitioning couples. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Caitlin and I have been friends a long time. We actually went to school together, went to grad school together. That's how we met and have kind of formed a friendship, which has even grown stronger in shared motherhood. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Going through all Both our kids are the same age. Yes, which mm-hmm. is so cool on play dates, which is, you know, usually what we'd be doing on a Saturday morning. But I'm so happy we got us out of the house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. All right. So let's kind of get right into it. You know, I, I usually start these podcasts with just like, what do you want to talk about today? And what is so interesting to you? And I'm so happy that today you brought actually your book, I cannot mm-hmm. believe I know an author. It's <laughs> so wonderful. Stop. Can you tell us a little bit about your book and maybe a little, like, I know your writing process. I used to get Snapchats from Caitlin of, like, a baby on her hip <laughs> or in bed next to her laptop. They're, baby's napping. Like, <laughs> baby's napping, and you're sitting there writing your book. So tell us about your book and kind of maybe your process of writing it. Yeah, so um, before the whole pandemic um, hit and I had my first kid, I started writing uh, my book, which is a clinician's guide to gender actualization. Um, and essentially... Um, I had to write it over the course of maternity leaves for both my kids because it just kept getting delayed because of the pandemic. So, mm -hmm. so it was a lot, but you know, I, I developed like the, the class for gender therapy for Xavier university and I do a bunch of workshops and I just kind of like wanted to write everything down. So I had it and i never thought I'd be an author and I just became one, I guess. That is so cool. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Where would you, so how would you say your interest was peaked in working with this population? So it actually started in our master's program because, so when I went to uh, Wright State for my undergrad before going to UC um, with you, my minor was in sexuality studies because I thought I'm going to be a couples therapist. Like, wow. so I'm going to do all these things for couples. So I might as well know, you know, about sexuality and all that. Wow. And most of my classes were for queer theory. And um, I loved it, loved it. And so I took like a lot of courses on gender and um, of course, sexuality, but also just like gender diversity. And so when we we're in our master's program, how they kind of encourage some leaning towards your interests. Mm-hmm. I noticed that there just was not any coursework at that time on like LGBTQ therapy, these populations. We didn't do a lot of talking about them. I think we had an adjunct that spent one class on it. Right. Um, Usually all those marginalized populations get like one class. Mm-hmm. Or like, a chapter. Okay, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Start with <laughs> note. <laughs> yeah, right? It's, uh, it's so right. many, yeah. Okay, now we're moving on to the next marginalized community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. And so um, I just kind of geared a lot of my focus, you know, around like LGBTQ populations. And when I entered 
the field clinically, like the need was so high because there was nothing here in Cincinnati. Like at that time, I think Children's had ju- was just starting to grow their their program. And there was like no gender therapist. There was like nothing. Mm. And I was actually talking to my team the other day of just like how drastic today is versus like 2013, 2014. Wow. Like it just exploded, which is great. But there was nothing then. So that kind of like the need plus my interest, I just jumped into a specialty kind of thing. Right. Just like any other specialty, just like any other. So what I thought was interesting was that, you know, your undergrad was in sexuality studies and they're talking about queer theory where I feel like Mm -hmm. this now is getting so much spotlight and so much attention. Mm -hmm. And for so many people, it feels like it came out of the blue Mm -hmm. when no, this stuff has been around for a long time. Oh yeah. 100%. Okay. Very cool. So for people who don't really know a lot about either this community or they're looking to kind of improve their knowledge, what's kind of some foundational things that people either need to know? Because I know, you know, I feel like sometimes this is like speaking another language. You Mm -hmm. have to learn all these new vocab words and you have to be, you know, worried about being politically correct and not offending anybody. So if we're coming into and starting a conversation where we have zero knowledge, what are some foundational things that somebody needs to know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think when it comes to understanding language as well is that it's ever evolving. I know I've used outdated terminology at some point and I learn a new word and I have to adopt it. Do you, know? get, do you get called out for it? Um, like for once, um, so... The LGBTQ um, with the asterisk used to be a thing, but then the asterisk means other, and so it's dismissive, which I, you know, I understand, but I used to use that all the time. So, like, I got called out for that, and so, like, I moved to, like, the plus sign, you know, or, like, um, Cincinnati's kind of behind on language than, like, out west. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, for a long time, like, FTM and MTF, you know, for male to female, female to male, for binary trans people um, was acceptable back when I was starting now. No, you don't. No. Uh, you know, yeah, you, just, you don't say, uh, uh-uh, no, so you use like you, affirming terminology. So what do you say? What well, do you say now? Well, if you say a trans woman, that's how they identify. And so that's all you need to know kind of thing. So like, that's how the language has evolved. You don't need to know what a past self was. It's more focused on the now. Ooh, mm-hmm. well, and so that's a good, and I myself sometimes forget like which trans male means which one or trans female. So that's mm-hmm. the now. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful, which is how we all want to live in the now <laughs> and in, in the mindful present moment, which is great. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's good. So you said um, binary and non-binary. So mm-hmm. can you, those are big, big yes. words now too. Can Ooh, we go I into that? It. Yes. And so, okay. So for some people, when you think of like a binary, it's like almost like two opposites on, on like a spectrum, if you think about it. So like, if we want to think like male, female, positive, negative, like cat, dog, I don't know. Whatever. But like, you got to think of two opposites. So for binary genders, it's like a this or that. And so it's with the categories that have been established in society, we have like male or female. And so a binary gender falls under anyone who identifies with this kind of construction or of a male or female identity. Mm-hmm. So like uh, we have cisgender, which which is like how I identify, Mm -hmm. um, which is I was assigned female at birth and I also identify with that gender and I identify as female. And so then you also have transgender, which transgender is a binary term as well now. Mm. Trans is the all-encompassing. So transgender is someone who has transitioned or crossed over to, you know, as they become the gender they identify with. So male or female, essentially at the end of the day. If they're cis or trans, 
that determines kind of their path to getting there, if that makes sense, to like their authentic to self. how you identify. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so non-binary genders are this kind of in-between and beyond the spectrum. They are this just like beautiful ball of light that is just like <laughs> what, you know, it's just like all these, there's, there's culturally specific genders because, you know, if we get beyond, you know, America or white culture, there is like a uh, very culturally specific and inden- indigenous genders as well, uh, where they have heard that. And mm-hmm. that other podcast that I sent you, they talked about this, that um, in a lot of other cultures and I, you know, the, the actual culture is failing me now. I can't remember it, but it was something like they had like 27 or something like that different terms for non-binary pronouns mm-hmm. like they had 27 different like non-specific binary gendered pronouns which mm-hmm. you know you would never hear something like that we have he and she you know mm-hmm. whatever okay yeah beautiful ball of light oh yes Ooh. yes <laughs> so we have the yeah, culturally specific we have neutral genders we have androgynous genders or no genders we have demi genders um, which can be a kind of a mix of i kind of have a little bit of non-binary experience and binary experience we have um, kind of gender queer can be multiple things it can be an experience within just like either none or partial of these genders um, mm-hmm. but it can also be like political um, to some extent, but... Okay, so yes. even that, like, that's... Oh, and third I mean. genders, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what do you see as the positive of kind of getting down to this really nitty-gritty of, like, allowing people to kind of choose, as you say, like, the process to getting there to their true authentic self and, like, kind of coming up with these words? What's, what's the benefit of doing that? Mm-hmm. I think it's important to, like, to for finding a home. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people, to form connectivity, community and belonging are super important. Absolutely. Um, I talk about belonging and community with people all day long. Mm-hmm. That if you don't feel, like, and people find that in church, they find it in their bingo group they find it in their mom's group that yes wonderful Mm -hmm. love it it gives your experiences and names that you can seek that community and seek being affirmed and seen oh my god that's beautiful so wonderful it makes me want to cry a little bit right because like that's all that's what everybody is trying to do Mm -hmm. it's just like find that and if giving them the proper verbiage to get there wonderful Mm -hmm. what do you see as a negative the only negative that i've come across is one, it can be really hard for society to accommodate in the way these people deserve to be, you know, respected Mm -hmm. um, as quickly as needed. We will get there and Mm -hmm. we're working and and society's working towards that. I would see that being the only, you know, downfall is it's hard to catch up sometimes with social progression for everybody. And some people get kind of confused. I've had a couple of, of folks where they're just like, well, I identify with like three different labels. How do I pick one? And so sometimes they can feel like they're not being seen because they have to pick like the right one. So they find their, their sense of community. So, I mean, I think with every, you know, important move forward where it's like, of course, these labels are so important and having an, a, a diverse uh, array of choices to be able to pick one that actually you do identify with, you know, pretty concretely. It can sometimes, you know, have a little bit of, you know, bumps along the way, just sure. like any form of yeah. social progress. Right. Like uh-huh. too much choice. Mm-hmm. can be a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in just, like, those small ways. I think, it, of course, like, the good outweighs, like, those For kind sure. of setbacks. Right. But, yeah, I think those are the only struggles that I've noticed. Kind of getting hung up. Like, I could see, like, in the example that you're giving, I can see somebody kind of getting hung up on that, mm-hmm. where 
maybe it's not about finding the label. Do you ever find that of like, let's work on your process and then maybe mm-hmm. the label will come or like, or is that the process that they have to find a label? They have to like, maybe I'm piecing them apart and they're not separate. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's actually interesting. You mentioned that it, you're, you're right. Actually. Um, a lot of people, and of course this usually happens in, you know, non-binary populations is finding concreteness and security within the ambiguity. Cause you know, they're not handed like, you know, people more binary genders, like kind of what the sort of norms, expectations, ways that they can feel connected, like uh, under shared uh, traits or, mm. you know, things like that. So mm-hmm. there's just not a lot of role models. There's just not a lot of visibility. And so what happens is it's like, I have to get this right because of wanting to just kind of find some concreteness and, oh, so this is how I identify. Let's go according with that. This is where I can start organizing how I feel about myself, how I feel about the world, my belief systems, my values, how I want to express myself, um, the terms I should use. Like, so there's such a, but it's, for a lot of non-binary folks, it's a lot of anxiety around trying to find that sense of security and concreteness with the ambiguity that comes with it that society has handed them. Yeah. Well, well, and that's what, and what makes me think of that is I talk to my clients all the time about getting really comfortable with the uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what you're saying, right? Like kind of being confident or settling into that ambiguity. And it's not necessarily a bad thing Mm -hmm. that we work with it. Right. That's what we do as therapists and kind of work with them. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm getting this right. (laughs) Yes. Well, I mean, and that's how our brain works. We categorize everything. We make boxes because we want things to be predictable. Like that's what we crave. That creates our sense of safety. So of course people want to be handed that, you know? So I think it's easy to see non-binary people as just like rejecting, you know, like how some people, you know, react online of just like, Oh, why can't you just like choose? Or why can't you just, you know, it's, it's not even that it's, you know, people just get uncomfortable, like when they don't fall in these like boxes that are predictable, but everyone also wants that. So even like people who are non-binary, they want that. They want a sense of security and safety and knowing that they can walk out of their house and people are going to see me as who I am. Wow. You know, they, they want that predictability in their day to day as well. And so then it must be, I'm flexing my empathetic muscle. Yeah, yeah. It must be so scary for somebody who was raised female, raised male, but mm-hmm. something just not being right. Mm-hmm. Is that what you find that these clients are kind of questioning? Like, why does this just not come easy to me? Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's easy for everybody else. They've never had to think about it. Mm-hmm. But now I have to, like, I have to think about my femininity, you know, where I haven't, I don't, I, I think about my femininity, but not a lot, probably not more, you know, than people who are transitioning or who are questioning that, right? I mean, do you find that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, just, and that's, again, I can relate to you on that level because growing up cis, yeah. it's like, yeah, you address your femininity, but through a different context. Like, it's, it's through this context of this embracing or reclaiming or defining your own femininity that's already like present or has been handed to you in a way. Yes. And and people see me for who I am. When I walk out of the house, they they identify with me as a woman. They treat me as such. I'm engaged in society as such. And for people who are not necessarily out or maybe that they've kind of understood themselves or self-actualized, like, hey, this is not how I identify. There's this huge incongruence because gender defines 
everything through connectivity and your day-to-day interactions. And so it's just like, it's loaded. You mean it's not just going to Target and going to the girl section and going into the toy aisle where the girl section's all pink and the boy section's all blue and black and that's not it? They just hand you your card, you know? They're like, hey, (laughs) come to this aisle. (laughs) Pass, you go this way, you go that way. Mm -hmm. So say more about that. That's really interesting. How does gender kind of play into my everyday life where maybe I'm not noticing it. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Everything. <laughs> um, there was an exercise I did at a workshop where it was, you had to sit there for a little bit and reflect about everything that you did, like within the past 24 hours, how was it influenced by gender? And I'll also ask my, my class to do this when we do the two day class um, at Xavier and everyone has a whole list of things. And so I'm thinking like, you know, just, you know, this morning, there can be aspects of motherhood that are very, like, you know, just kind of defaults to, you know, the female in the relationship or the mother. Mm-hmm. Um, or the, um, you know, aspects of, like, some people will be, like, when I'm driving, like, I notice that, like, I might be more passive to someone who is, like, someone who I perceive as an aggressive male in the truck. Like, so I don't, I would be afraid for my safety if I were to upset that person. Sure. Or walking through a store thinking like if this person's following me or why am I being looked at like that? You know, so there's like all these different or when people just ma'am and sir you, yeah. you know, and that just means that they, they see you that day. You know, imagine just like someone just not even seeing you for like a base aspect of who you are yeah, and being sir you know, it's like, what, what are you saying that I'm not seeing? Right. You know, is this this person? You See, know? That's crazy because I mm-hmm. use sir all the time. And I think it's like such a respectable thing to say to an older male mm-hmm. who, mm-hmm. you know, excuse me, sir, or whatever. I feel like that's like a polite thing to do. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's part of it. it there is social nuances and la- like language is just such a constant developing thing. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And to some people, they still find it. That is affirming yeah. certain uh, groups of people still. Right. You know, it doesn't mean it's just something that needs to be completely erased. It's just like it's the context. Absolutely. Right. And like, I don't know if maybe that older male is in transition. I wouldn't know that. Mm -hmm. And that's okay that I don't know that. Right. Like I called him sir, but I'm not bad and wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think intention is important. And I also think like noticing like social cues, um, because sometimes like where it's like if someone is it has an understanding that they're presenting like a very masculine or feminine way. It doesn't bother, you know, it usually doesn't. I think, I think again, part of like this kind of social progress is that people are so afraid of just like always saying the wrong thing. And most people don't really care that much. Like, I mean, they, they do like on, in some foundational level, like if this person was like, not presenting themselves in a super masculine way and they're being served or like they have a purse or sure you know because I have clients who signal on purpose with yes. their accessories their dress because they want to be affirmed in the in how they're addressed then that's when it gets offensive because I've had people who are like I am wearing like a dress I am wearing my hair a certain way why did I get served or wow. vice versa or like right. why did I get mammed when I am obviously like dressed this way mm-hmm. and then so I think it's it's all context right no it's but context, I like yeah. your I, I like kind of the the intention Mm-hmm. Right, like if we can all just be nice mm-hmm. <laughs> and just say <laughs> and want to respect hey, my, people. exactly my intention, mm-hmm. absolutely. And maybe I accidentally stir you, and then I correct myself. Right, like oh, you know, whatever. Okay, mm-hmm. wonderful. Um, we got off on a tangent, but we were <laughs> started talking about kind of vocabulary. This vocabulary, right? Or just like mm-hmm. basic foundation things that people need to know having these kinds of conversations. So we've talked about vocab what different words mean 
kind of this this construct idea of the labels and boxes of the non-binary and binary and even transgender being a binary um, mm-hmm. box as well. Kind of the positive and negatives of each of those and how gender influences how you relate to the world in like a much bigger context. Anything mm-hmm. else you wanted to add or something that maybe I... I left out. I think some people um, knowing the difference. Did I mention in that the the cisgender being people? Yes, because I had mentioned that's where I'm at. Where people? Yes. Okay, the, the cis and tra- okay. Um, trying to think. No, I don't think so. Okay, so I think what we kind of started getting into was um, that language is ever evolving, mm-hmm. right? And and that's what we're shooting for here, right? With this idea of educating people right that it's a long-lasting permanent hopefully kind of more wide-eyed view of gender that's ever evolving Mm -hmm. and that people are kind of slowly being brought up to rather than I'm going to beat you down and shame you Mm -hmm. so that you start labeling me the way that Mm -hmm. I you know whatever so Mm -hmm. yeah what do you think about that well no one will ever win this game the woke game, because woke. social progression constantly is going. It is constantly going, mm-hmm. and populations coming into age and different developmental stages are going to redefine, use new words, engage differently. Mm-hmm. No one is ever going to win the woke right. game. No, I mean, 100%. think about just our parents, what they, the feminism, all mm-hmm. of that. Their parents were probably looking at them like, y'all are nuts. Mm-hmm. Get the hell off the streets and put your bras back on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> Did you know that? I just learned this. That bra burning was a total like social media. Um, of course idea. it was. I mean, like, the not social media, techniques, not right? social media. News. Yep. News made that up. The women were protesting, taking off their bras. Of course it's They made up the headline that the bras were burning. There's no such thing. Well, as, and that's like, exactly what's happening on social media now where they, mm. they, they create this outrage over things that don't don't really matter to the community and they don't really care about. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And Minnie Mouse. Yes. That's what Minnie you're Mouse. To, right? Uh-huh. Numerous people have told, have we've talked about this or it's been brought to my attention that they're trying to change Minnie Mouse's dress to a pantsuit. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's something no one cares about, right? I don't think a lot of people do. <laughs> um, and again, like, so this is the kind of the things that, you know, we were talking, you know, powwowing about before is like the, the kind of like, distraction techniques where it's like, I don't want to make real social political progress and change. Mm. So I'm going to show you all with this little tactic instead. Look how, look how progressive I am. It's like almost PR stunt, which don't get me wrong, you know, making, you know, Minnie Mouse, you know, not having to make her so hyper feminine for younger generations, whatever. That's a cool thing in itself on a side note, but where this, it goes kind of intense like is when attacking her feminine, like femininity though, too, mm-hmm. of like, mm-hmm. No, that's not okay. We're going to show her in a different way. And mm-hmm. what I thought was cool, too, was like, well, why is it always the female? Mm-hmm. Right? It's always the female. Not always, but in this case, we're attacking Minnie Mouse's femininity. Mm-hmm. But what about Mickey's masculinity? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What what does he even wear? Shorts? Isn't it like black and red? Yeah. Something Isn't like it that? like big buttons on shorts? Yes, does I, he have suspenders? I, are they supposed to be suspenders? I thought he was just... I haven't watched Mickey Mouse in a long time. So I am glad what, my kids are not into Mickey Mouse. I couldn't watch it again. <laughs> no, I just can't listen to the voice. I just can't listen to the voice. Yeah. But right. But it, again, that's the female that's being attacked. Mm-hmm. Let's revamp the female, which, I mean, 
cool that we're displaying femininity in new and diverse ways for new generations. That's cool in itself. But I get what you mean, where it's like, why aren't we revamping masculinity? Right. Or mm-hmm. like, do it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mickey gets a makeover and Minnie gets a makeover. Mm-hmm. Great. Maybe it's just, hey, cool. Maybe Minnie's going to go get a corporate job. And Mickey's <laughs> going to stay home with the kids. Yes. You know, just like, get that happens. a messy bun and coffee. <laughs> Right, but like all that would be fine and it would be representative of what happens today a lot that women are finding these very high paying jobs and then men get to stay home with their kids, which a lot of men would love to be able to do. Mm -hmm. That's great. But do it for that, not like, look how woke we are as a company. Mm -hmm. You know, like you, I know you watched Bo Burnham's. um, Oh, oh, the inside. Yes, inside oh where he's God, talking about it. what do you stand for, Bugles? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for Bugles, the witch finger. Yes, he's got one. Of he's so good. I love Bernard. Um, so yes. I want to go back to like this real change. So this idea okay. that we're distracting everybody with progress look. that matters. Mm-hmm. So what is then the progress that matters? Disney being actually gender inclusive. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, they're they're right. trying. I think what they did are. we have the first Marvel movie that had um, two like cis guys kiss? Wasn't it um, Eternals on screen? Wasn't that like the, one of the first ones? Why were two cis men kissing? Because they were a couple. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, right. cis. Cis, cis. cis. I was sorry, thinking, yes. okay. <laughs> so cis meaning they're born male and identify mm-hmm. as male. Yes. And yes. they're gay. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. that's a whole other conversation, right? The mm-hmm. sexuality part of that? Um, well, yeah, well, they are a gay couple. And I guess the reason I'm bringing up that they're cis is because they're not really including gender diversity much yet in Disney. Sure. Uh, so, of course, it's cis guys, and that's where they're starting. Right. But something I learned, too, in one of my, um, in my undergrad, um, when we were studying, um, like, queer discussions, was I took a, a queer film class. And so, essentially, what it was, was they showed that in the progression of, like, sexual um, orientation, mm. was that gay men got all this visibility and lesbians were, like, super closeted. And that's kind of, like, how it works like in like a lot of marginalized groups in the in the progression yes. and so it's interesting how marvels just did it again where it's like or marvel not marvels mm-hmm. um where it's like hey we'll show the gay guys again like that's socially acceptable we're, we're yes. gonna start there yep and it's like so i necessarily don't have a problem with that mm-hmm. right like i feel like we have to start with something that's palatable mm-hmm. and then slowly push right oh yes yeah does that kind of come back to more of this like evolution not revolution y- yes where we have to evolve and and so it is a good step for disney but i think what was so weird the the when you told me about this this mini dress thing mm-hmm. i'm like that's what they're that yeah. that's what they're doing to right. show like gender progress like there's so much more you could do. Like, what? What? why is that? And so it kind of goes to, like, you know, these other marginalized populations where it's like, hey, you really want social change? Let's change your face on the syrup bottle. <laughs> you know? Like, right. um, instead of actually, like, doing something or actually pushing for real, right. you know, systemic change. So anyway, so going back, the evolution, um, not revolution, is I was in, um, I was in Russia in, like, 2015 um, with a group of therapists. And... Um, we went to this uh, monastery and we we're talking to like a monk and he kept preaching to us this whole idea of evolution, not revolution. Mm-hmm. And so we did like a lot of thinking on that. And I think that in general, you know, re- revolutions have their place. Do they really make the the hard work happen? Mm-hmm. Sometimes not where it's like, especially in social media 
today where it's like people get really outraged about something, fizzles out, everyone forgets. You know, within a week or two, no one's going to care about it anymore, which does a huge disservice to any form of social growth or progress. Now, granted, it gives visibility and it riles some feathers up, which that's, you know, revolution's place. At the end of the day, evolution is what makes the concrete changes. So, like, doing the hard stuff, having discussions with people, Mm. education, just trying to overall be, you know, communicating to each other with respect and just good intentions beautiful wonderful which is what you would do which probably we need more of right now Mm -hmm. of just like how to have hard conversations and how to go into it with seeking to understand or seeking to learn something not seeking to change your opinion Mm -hmm. which who changes their opinion nowadays (laughs) oh my gosh that's not the goal of hard conversations. Mm-hmm. It's to be understood and connected, belonging, all community, all of those things that we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. 100%. So we've kind of talked about like microaggressions versus macroaggressions as well. So mm-hmm. do you feel like one of those is a more important change or is that real change that we were talking about? These like macro, very out, outrightly mm-hmm. oppressive or phobic whatever that is, expressions mm-hmm. against the community versus more micro, which would be, mm-hmm. I don't even know what, serving somebody. Maybe mm-hmm. is, that a, is that a microaggression? Mm-hmm. Yes. Whenever you, yeah, when it's obvious that they're not presenting that way, yes. Like, would you say that one of those is more important than the other or we should focus on, like, mm-hmm. here's my real question and I'm just going to ask it. Do you feel like there's going to be a world where we live without microaggressions? I don't know. Microaggression, yeah. Humans in general, we are not free of prejudice anytime soon because of the way our brains categorize everything. Yes. And does that give excuses? You know, no. Uh, You know, because what we need to do is we need to recognize those prejudices and then choose to be better and, like, you know, use the knowledge we know to be different. Do I think that the whole world will be free of it? Because humans just... After the past couple of years, we really don't like each other. (laughs) I mean, we'll find ways to dislike each other. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, once we can get that that progress, I think in terms of macro versus micro, I think macroaggressions, you know, attacking that is like the first biggest step to creating some form of opportunity or safety amongst groups. Yeah, safety. But it's still there's overt barriers underneath that prevents people and traps people through microaggressions, um, like from employment um, Mm -hmm. or from housing from, oh my gosh, I've known people who lose custody battles because they're trans to like, you know, ex-partners that really are not fit to be those parents. And it's just tra- out of pure, you know, transphobia. How do you know that? Or how does the... Co- I mean, I don't want to div- divulge too much sure, for yeah. privacy reasons, right. but the the situations are very clear. Yeah. Um, or the situations are very clear of why they didn't get the job. Yeah. Um, like it, it just, it, you can tell that like on paper maybe the employer would be super excited about that person. And then if the person comes out at the interview, all of a sudden it changes. Mm. I've had, I've known people where um, they get overt letters of like, we just don't want to kind of deal with your baggage right now. Yeah. Like we don't want to support you through your transition. Wow. Our workplace wouldn't be able to support that or accommodate that. Yeah. Right. Because then it goes like, oh, are they going to ask for us to pay for their surgeries, right? Do we mm-hmm. have to worry about covering this and our insurance? It becomes like this whole thing. And insurance is already working on gatekeeping counselors from writing letters for gender-affirming surgeries. They're already mm-hmm. under—they want uh, MDs to be able to do it. Um, and so it would take a lot longer to get assessments or, or I think CITES as well. Yeah, it, it's a whole yeah. thing. They're trying. There's, there's a couple of places that are. Sure. 
So then like they can't get letters for their surgeries. Oh, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. From the person who knows them best as they're going through this process. Yeah, that we can't write those letters anymore. We are the primary writers of the letters, uh, counselors are, for gender-affirming surgeries, because we do the assessments and things like that. Right. Yeah. It's a mess. It's a mess. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this is beautiful, wonderful. I'm learning so much. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Micro versus macro. Awesome. Tell us about your new book coming out. Your new book being worked on. <laughs> being worked on. <laughs> the new book, your work, your new passion project. Please fill us in on your new passion project. Oh, goodness. I was telling Annie, I never saw myself writing a book. One book, let alone. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I, I told everyone, they're like, you're going to write another one? I was like, hell no. Or heck no. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, oh, we swear here. We swear here. Oh, my gosh. I've been I'm keeping sorry, did I not tell you that? <laughs> I have been keeping a cap on I curse like a sailor. Like, I've been keeping... <laughs> Oh, I've been nice. like, I'm going to pretend I'm in an office with a client so I don't curse so much. Oh, sorry. Um, sorry. Yeah, right. Um, so I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm an idiot. Like, I am not going to write another another book. No way. But I just, there's um, there's just a really high need for information about transitioning couples. Um, and so gender diverse couples and transitioning couples. And so, um, oh my goodness, it's kind of a loaded topic. So I guess... Um, like a stereotypical example would be like you have this married couple for like, you know, 10 years, whatever, and someone comes out as trans and uh, then they have to figure out, are we going to make it or are we going to break it kind of thing? You know, because it's, you know, two non-negotiables. Um, there's the uh, the identity and experience of the partner who's not transitioning is just as valid as the actualizing gender identity of the other person. Oh so you can't make either change. So it's, do they fit or do they not? And do, how do we explore this together? Um, right, and then I can just imagine like, okay, now how do we start from zero mm-hmm. in this marriage? Cause now it's a whole new, this is a new person. Mm-hmm. You're changing the context. Wow. Mm-hmm. You're literally changing the context. And then the the person who may who is going through this who is not trans also is self actualizing because they're going to be deconstructing gender they're going to be uh, and figuring out how they relate to it and connect to it they have to you know explore their own sexuality of like okay how fluid or not fluid is it how would it change in this context is it something that I can embrace you know for the rest of my life is this something that I you know want for myself and then you have the person who's transitioning not only are they transitioning and going through literally their whole world is is changing they have to decide too because their sexual identity could change you know they could also maybe they they need to you know maybe this relationship enabled their life prior to transition in ways that they just can't have anymore wow. so it's yeah so this, that's kind of like an example of a transitioning couple mm-hmm. I mean they're you know, different categories because there's so much gender diversity. You can have all these dynamics, but that's like kind of a stereotypical example. And so that's going to be, so I know your first book was written kind of as clinicians, Mm -hmm. as your audience. Yeah. Who's the audience for this one? Um, I'm going to make it primarily, I'm going to try to reach to clients. I'm very jargony when I talk. So that's going to be a a challenge. Just have a glossary. I know, right? Just like, oh, how do I not talk so clinical? And so I'm going to try to be able to just give something for transitioning couples to hold on to. So there's just like not a lot out there. And so I wanted to have that and then also like at the end of each like chapter part having like therapist you know recommendations and stuff oh very cool Mm -hmm. well i'm looking forward to that you know what i just remembered a huge hallmark that i forgot to ask you about yes which is a controversial topic so here we go ready (laughs) okay switching gears uncross my legs (laughs) no i'm gonna recross them Uh uh-huh difference between 
mm-hmm. sex and gender. Yes. Ah. Okay. The difference between sex and gender. So sex is your DNA. It's your chromosomes. So um, sometimes I'll call it your meat sack, which is the body that you just kind of get born with. <laughs> what are we like water and and meat at this point i don't even know um so it's essentially like your chromosomes so i want to include intersex people as well because they also don't have this you know stereotypical xxxy sometimes you can get like double uh double xy Mm -hmm. um sometimes you can be a triple x like so there's just like all um there's thousands of different types of intersex conditions people can be born with so their dna and chromosomes don't always match this you know this enforced standard you know of this male female you know xyxx okay so so your sex is essentially what you're born with due to your chromosomes right um and they can define your primary and secondary sex characteristics which can be like genitalia sure reproductive organs things like that i see mm-hmm. okay Yes. And then your gender is um, this great piece of gray matter in your brain that determines how you um, you feel in terms of it's, it's it's they literally you can't measure it with science at this point. Mm-hmm. The only thing that they've seen on like scans is they have seen that the brains of like trans women do um, have similarities to cis women. And so there are structures in your brain that actually, you know, feminize or masculinize. Um, and so that in some way, however... It comes together in your brain, forms how you perceive yourself. So it's like, who do you go to bed? Who do you go to bed as, um, and who you go to bed with when you're talking about sexual orientation and gender identity? It's who you're kind of who you identify as. Wow. Yeah. So the difference between your body, like the kind of biological assignment, mm-hmm. versus how you experience your gender. That's wonderful, and kind of separating it out too of like, okay, this is. My meat sack, but like, <laughs> right? Like this is what my body representation is versus the brain mm-hmm. and the brain's representation. And we know how crazy the brain is mm-hmm. and how it we haven't even mapped it. And we don't know tons of things that it does and just all of those confusions. So not mm-hmm. that this is a confusion, but just all of the processes that go into making sense out of life that those are two completely separate pieces. So it would make sense that someone would say, oh, I was born a female, but I don't necessarily identify with that or that doesn't feel like me, mm-hmm. if I'm understanding correctly. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, too, how people, we love to put ourselves and others in boxes. And I think one thing that we all know as humans, like if you were to talk to anyone on the street, we all know we're super complex beings Mm -hmm. we are so complex we are beyond this idea Mm -hmm. of i was assigned to this body so i must feel this way Mm. like who like if you break it down like that it's like oh i can kind of see why we need to have more boxes like in terms of gender we shouldn't have this male or female we should have like expand the boxes because to honor how complex we are in our identities as humans they're so unique or your thought about this way just Mm -hmm. get rid of the boxes in general like Mm -hmm. just let people be so we still have sex we mm-hmm. still have male female mm-hmm. male female sex but when it comes to gender it could be anything mm-hmm. you could identify or express yourself in any way and then there are no boxes mm-hmm. is that even a possibility you know i could see both camps there's one camp where it's like sure that would be a great utopia where that's how and we feel good about it and that would be great not to have like those limitations mm-hmm. where we currently stand now it would be unaffirming to people who want their gender seen and affirmed you know it would be unaffirming like because like even if um 
you know, we move along this progression of like, let's not assign these things. Well, there are some people who find, you know, affirmation and security and safety and community in their labels. Sure. You know, we don't want to unaffirm other groups of people to affirm, you know, we just need to include yeah. everybody. So everyone's affirmed. Yeah. So I guess like, yes, uto- utopian environment, sure. Now it would be it would be kind of no, a lot. I see that too yeah. of clients like, what's my diagnosis? Like, what does it matter? Mm-hmm. But people really enjoy that. People do find some sense of security in I've and got something that is acknowledged that other people have validated, and that can be really safe feeling for a lot of people. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right, I didn't prep you for this part. Are you ready to... Well, first, is there anything <laughs> left? That you, now that I've cliffhanger, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Oh, no, I'm good. I can talk about gender all day thank long, well, so I'm good. So <laughs> it was so awesome. I love it. Okay, um, this is your lightning round. Okay, okay. you're going to get a bunch of questions, as many as I can kind of think of. Okay. Um, first thing that comes to the top of your mind. Okay. Your first book is dedicated to... Your children. Mm-hmm. Who are you going to dedicate the next one to? Oh, gosh. What? <laughs> These are the hardest questions. That's why it's lightning round. Um, maybe maybe my gender team. Ooh. Cool. Yeah, maybe my team. Yeah. Okay. Um, what? So you mentioned this big ball of beautiful light. What? And that makes me think of like the universe and divine everything. Mm-hmm. What do you think humans were put here to do oh my gosh right i know lightning i think just to exist i don't i don't think there's any bigger purpose oh Mm -mm. i'm super spiritual but i think we're just here to experience that's it what crystal or stone are you feeling right now oh my gosh um i'll say moonstone rainbow moonstone oh my gosh Mm -hmm. i'm not wearing my moonstone (laughs) i'm wearing a ton of moonstone right now i'm decked out let's go crystal shopping yeah let's do that okay um last question what's one thing that you wish everybody knew one thing that you wish everybody knew. I was afraid of a question like this because, like, I'm an open book. I, I am. I'm an open book. Like, I literally am open about and everything not about, about me. you. It could just be about anything. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be about you, but it could be about anything. Like, I wish everybody had this knowledge. Mm-hmm. What do you wish some something everybody knew? Everybody knew. I wish everybody knew that gender diversity is not an intimidating or this like big bad you know whatever it's it's all this is is just like everyone just trying to connect and just be liberated and be ourselves that's all it is this is a liberation like for everybody even cis people like it really is right it doesn't have to i love that it's not mm-hmm. an us versus them mm-hmm. this is for everybody gender liberation <gasps> a movement <laughs> someone make that. (laughs) Caitlin, thank you so much for being here today. I had so much fun. Let's go crystal shopping, okay? Yes. Thanks for listening. You can find all of our previous episodes on our website, mountainmindset.org, as well as on Spotify. If you have an idea for an episode, we would love to hear from you. See you next time. (laughs) 